If you are looking for a mobile wallet to hold and access your crypto, you need to go to argent.xyz and download their smart contract wallet app right onto your Android or iOS device. Argent is the most secure way to hold money on your device while still being able to access DeFi services that we all know and love on Ethereum. Through Argent, you have one tap access to the beloved DeFi apps like Compound, Uniswap, Aave, and you can even invest directly into some yield generating assets right from your Argent wallet. Crucial to maintaining security over your assets is Argent's Guardian service, which, which allows you to use a friend to make sure that you can always restore access to your funds in case you were to ever lose your phone or for your device to break. You can also use a local hardware wallet to ensure that you can always restore access to your funds yourself. One of Argent's newest features is their ability to route trades through 10 decentralized exchanges, including Uniswap and Kyber, to make sure that you are always getting the best trade on your assets. Similarly, pushing the fold on what we can do in Ethereum and DeFi, Argent has replicated some of the legacy financial services that you would expect from your bank, but put it directly into the hands of the user, such as send limits and whitelisted accounts, ensuring that if anyone were to be able to access your funds in your Argent wallet, they could only send up to a certain amount and only be able to send them to approved addresses, which is creating one of the most safe environments to hold your assets in, which is why people have put millions and millions of dollars in into the Argent wallet that they use on their device. In order to see the Argent wallet in action, go to argent.link slash bankless and download the Argent wallet on iOS or Android today. We're also brought to you by Monolith. Monolith is your cool new DeFi account, your DeFi savings account, your DeFi checking account. Except the cool thing about the Monolith DeFi account is that it gets software updates, right? You actually get to increase the usefulness of this over time. So here are some of the features. Monolith is a smart contract wallet with a lot of the features that you would expect if you've come to know DeFi and what it is, you can you can add money to it. You can put that money to work uh, in Compound and, and accessing yield. Uh, but you can and you can also swap through Uniswap. What was cool with Monolith is that they will send you a very sexy Monolith Visa card that connects to your smart Monolith smart contract wallet on Ethereum. So it's a really awesome tool to live a bankless life with a a, a savings account that gets software updates. So this is, this is something that you're never going to find out in the real world, but you can still do real world things with you know real money in, like buy your groceries. So that's just fantastic. Coming soon to Monolith, actually already here to Monolith, is now you can buy DAI and get it sent to your wallet directly, right? So it's also being an on-ramp. So you don't have to go through your centralized exchange like Coinbase or Gemini or wherever. You can just go straight from your bank account right into your Monolith checking account smart contract wallet. So check them out at monolith.xyz. Bankless Nation, welcome to another State of the Nation. This is episode number 21. 21. 21. David, I've got a feeling we're going to talk about politics today. What about you? Yeah, just a little bit, you know? It, it feels like a good day for that. Happy Election Day. Happy I election voted day. this morning. Yeah, you I voted? Did it. I did my part. Yeah? Yep, absolutely. Washington's a, a mail-in vote state, so I voted a few weeks ago. Oh, that's 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 cool. That's yeah. smart. I was like, um, I was up bright and early doing it, and there was already a line, so wow. I'm not sure. Wow. Maybe that bodes well for turnout, but, um, you know. Everything's different. Okay, we should talk about what we're going to do today. Mm -hmm. um, so State of the Nation, if this is your first State of the Nation, David and I record these every Tuesday. So it goes live on YouTube. So if you're watching YouTube now, you're watching it live. What we try to do is 
pick a topic, bring in an interesting guest, relate that topic to some things that are going on in crypto in the bankless nation uh, during the week, and then drop some insights and action items, relate these to the topics that we talk about on the podcast. So every Tuesday, you can get it on YouTube. Uh, every Wednesday, it comes out in the podcast stream. So if you're more audio centric, and that's the way you digest this content, uh, we do that as well. David, what are we going to be talking about today? Talking about a number of things all related to the election. And I kind of wrote about this in the Market Monday piece yesterday. Who's better for crypto, Biden or Trump? That's where I feel like a worthwhile conversation to have. But I also feel like everyone in the, the world of crypto is like, it, it doesn't really matter. Crypto is crypto. But I also think that that is a dangerous thought to have because, you know, as the saying goes, you might not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. And so maybe today is not our fight as the crypto industry, but there is a political fight that we are going to have. And we're going to have to fight for our right to crypto. And that is going to happen. Yeah. And so I'm super excited to have a guest on that can talk about that. And we'll introduce him in just a minute. But he is a, a crypto lobbyist, basically. Mm -hmm. He's in DC, he talks to uh, members of Congress about these issues, can really shed some light into the question Democrats or Republicans, who hates crypto less? <laughs> Maybe that's the way to phrase it. Uh, but, like, seriously, we got to know what the politicians are thinking mm -hmm. about crypto. And this is going to be the episode to do that. Before we get into the goods, David, we've got some special things going on, as always, in the Bankless program, in the Bankless Nation. Uh, Phil Bonella, we had a, a great episode with him that mm -hmm. got released on Monday about something I think both of us are passionate about. That's the, the sovereign individual thesis. Mm -hmm. And he talks specifically about the investment thesis. Can you give folks a, a preview of, of that episode? Yeah, and I think that's actually a fantastic conversation to have because it is pretty decently adjacent to uh, uh, politics, right? Uh, the, we, we were chewing on a title for that piece, Crypto is Political, in the sense that crypto is a political stance of anti-authoritarianism and pro-individual, right? Uh, but then we just decided to go with the, the title, Crypto is Empowering, talking about all the way that cryptography, not necessarily cryptocurrency, but the, in, uh, the concept and institution of cryptography is empowering and changing the world landscape, which is relevant to politics that we might talk about in this episode. But that episode with Phil was just a fantastic uh, gamut of topics about the many different ways that cryptography are is really putting the power in the hands of the individual and away from hierarchical institutions. And so it's a worthwhile uh, concept to understand and to learn about. And, and Phil did a really fantastic job helping us walk through that subject matter. Yeah, absolutely. So check out that episode while you're at it. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you should do that because next Monday we have Raul Paul. So on the podcast, we Same recorded thing. this yeah. episode yesterday. It is fire yeah. heat. Mm -hmm. I think he said after the episode, he talked about whole new, fresh new content mm -hmm. that he's never talked about before. Mm -hmm. um, maybe because we made him. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like he challenged us as much as we challenged him, certainly. Right. But, um, you know, we got him to talk about DeFi. We got him to talk about Ether, too. Yeah. And like questions like, we'll leave it to the podcast, but what assets, what crypto assets does Raul hold in his portfolio? We found the answers mm -hmm. to those questions. Mm -hmm. So a little tease for you guys. Check that out on Monday. Um, lastly, David, we should mention something that uh, that you're involved in. Right. You're actually going to be a, a mentor. Um, 
to the Filecoin accelerator that Longhash is putting on. So this is really a, a you know shout out to if we've got DeFi developers, entrepreneurs, builders who are listening to Bankless, you've got to check out what Filecoin is doing with this Longhash accelerator. It's the opportunity to build on the Filecoin stack. That's a decentralized storage layer. So if you got you know, bankless application built on Ethereum, that's that's DeFi centric, but the servers behind that, they might be in Amazon, they might right. be somewhere else. Right. To get fully decentralized, you could deploy that in Filecoin. And uh, if you do it through this accelerator, they're, they're providing a, a 20K grant and some follow-up funding potentially, but you got to apply by the 15th. I think that's how it works, right, David? You're the, you're the mentor, mm-hmm. yeah. so you probably know more. <laughs> think about this as like an East Denver hackathon, uh, but happening on the internet and specifically with Filecoin, right? And I think this is actually an insanely relevant uh, subject matter to exactly what we were talking about on the Phil Bonello podcast, where we talk about how cryptographic systems like Filecoin uh, promote the sovereignty of the individual, right? Imagine if humanity can just come together to build out this like library of knowledge that we all deem is worthwhile to keep stored in a way that is World War III resistant, right? Like that's that's really the through line I, I think uh, about Filecoin and, and why I'm excited to be a mentor to this program. Uh, and so if you are a developer team that is interested in money, uh, go and apply to the Filecoin Accelerator program and, and get a $20,000 grant for building something on Filecoin. Link in the show notes, guys. Link so check that out. Uh, David, let's start this episode, man. Are you yeah, ready? I'm, I'm ready. Well, All I right. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me start with the question I ask you every single episode of State of the Nation. David, what is the state of the nation this week, my friend? The state of the nation is political. We ah, are political. Say that. <laughs> it's so it's such an easy one. It's like I was also thinking about chewing on the uh, we are activists uh, because I think one thing that we want to come out of this podcast is you know some actionable items for individuals who want to represent the world of crypto uh, cryptocurrency in their local politics and 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 maybe um, in national politics. What can people do to make sure that crypto is well represented? Uh, and that's why crypto is political today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, folks listening, they're a citizen of their respective nation states, right? Um, But they're also citizens of the crypto nation state. We've talked about these digital nation states before. You might be a a, a citizen of the bankless nation, of course. You might Mm -hmm. be a citizen of Ethereum. You might be a citizen of Bitcoin. And uh, as such, if you want that vision and that value system of the world moving forward, you've got to get involved in politics, either politics of your network, Mm -hmm. right? There's certainly... Bitcoiner and uh, Ethereum politics and bankless politics, but also in your nation state, because mm-hmm. all of this is one social experiment. Yeah. I guess that's what humans are doing these days, right? Yeah. It's one big civilization social experiment, uh, and you got to get involved in mm-hmm. order to get your value system out into the world. So, David, with that, we should introduce our fantastic guest. Want to introduce to the nation uh, Tyler Wertie, who is a venture capitalist and advisor at the Tacoma Group. He's also the founder of Hoddle Pack. So this is a, a PAC, political action group, um, that is specifically focused on crypto. He was formerly of the Cato Institute, where he was a researcher, studied crypto, put out some research papers on crypto at Cato. He is in Washington, D.C. He talks to legislators and lawmakers about these issues. Tyler, welcome to Bankless. 
I'm, I'm hopeful you can shed some light on, on uh, some of these questions here, but how are you doing today, sir? It's election day. Is DC going crazy? I'm doing well, and, th and thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm a, I've, I've told you guys this before, but I'm a huge fan of Bankless, and it's, and it's exactly because of uh, your, your, what you guys touched on in the introduction there. I thought that's, that's uh, you know, we, we are activists. Uh, Hodelpack Hodel is an is a activist, uh, more than a lobbyist, I say, and, I, and I'm, I'm also on a mission to find people to uh, help take part in in these nation state politics on behalf of uh, on behalf of crypto. So well, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Tyler, I hope after this episode is done, we can help recruit a few more activists to help join the cause. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. That would be great. You know, Tyler, um, we just got to start here. Could, do you mind, David, if we start here? Uh, I wanted to start with um, predictions, election predictions. <laughs> all right. No, it's spicy, because it's dangerous. election day, <laughs> we have to start. Um, Tyler, who's going yeah. to win, Biden or Trump? What's your What's your hot take? All right. Well, so I don't mm, I don't know uh, is the best answer to that question. I did tweet out a uh, a two seventy to win chart this morning uh, with my with my predictions with with the caveat, however, being that my fantasy football team isn't very good this year, so I haven't been good <laughs> at this kind of thing in twenty twenty. Uh, but uh, my chart has uh, Biden two seventy one. Uh, and Trump 267, final electoral college that I stamped it this morning. That's my uh, that's my prediction. We're, um, we're looking at it right now. Is there a, is yeah. there a hash of this on the Ethereum blockchain so that it's mutable <laughs> and you can't delete it if you're wrong? Unfortunately not. No, you, you, <laughs> caught, you caught me there. Uh, however, the uh, a couple other predictions. I think we're going to have record turnout. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I think I, I think that's uh, been widely uh, widely expected this year, given all the you know the increase in in absentee ballots and in mail-in uh, ballots. Um, and uh, you know, besides from that, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, partisan bickering. I think that's a good uh, safe prediction oh, yeah. as well. <laughs> oh boy, sure. yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll bet on that. And you speaking of bets, I was I was fascinated by this. I don't know if you saw this, Tyler, but like, there's all of these new prediction markets, of course, in crypto mm -hmm. in in Ethereum. This is a poly market. We've talked about it a little yep. bit before, and I, you know, it's it, I it's the polls are one thing, and Nate Silver is one thing, right? That's one yeah. piece of the predictive puzzle here. But when people start putting money on it, that's when. I start paying more attention right now. This has been an interesting graph to watch. This is a prediction market on will Trump win the 2020 U.S. presidential election. So um, 61 say no, he will lose. So Biden wins. 60% are saying Biden wins. For about 40% are saying Trump wins, and they're betting money on this. Um, mm -hmm. To the tune of there's been about 3.5 million in trading volume. Lots so. of trading volume. That's a high number yeah. for prediction markets, especially in a cryptocurrency yeah. context. Yeah, like pretty, pretty impressive, pretty interesting. I guess uh, it mirrors your prediction. But I'm going to be watching this actually myself for the rest of the day because it goes up and down based on new information coming in. Um, kind Definitely. of interesting. Definitely. All right. I think I, I do. So real quick though, I think that is, I think is is super interesting. I'm very, I'm primarily interested in seeing, uh, obviously, whether it's right. You know, I think yes. to, this is like our first, like we're having, finally we're having liquid prediction markets yes. uh, and probably not as liquid as they need to be to like really truly be, uh, you know, predictive uh, or trust, like, you know, we can trust it to be predictive. Um, 
who knows whether people are hedging their positions or doing, you know, who knows what the people that are participating in the prediction markets uh, are like, what their motivations are. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out compared to the polls later, later this evening. Well, hang, hang on. I do want to bring up a point there because it's not a job yeah. of a prediction market to be right. It's only a job of a prediction market to illustrate probability. Right. And so Trump can still win the uh, election, even though he was, quote unquote, the underdog for a prediction market because it's just about the, the probability of the winning rather than the actual what's going to happen or not. That, that is actually, that's a very good point. Very good point. That's yeah. why you host Bankless and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Fair well, I, I, do think, I do think that what's going to be interesting is like how quickly this market responds to new information coming in, right? So yes. if one candidate or the other starts winning, winning states, you'd expect the favorability to it's increase it. or decrease yeah, that's right. like in one direction or the other based on information coming in. Um, anyway, fascinating. We should get to the, the main event here. Um, <laughs> Tyler, it's great to have you on. So Thanks. can we ask about like Joe Biden versus Trump? All right. So these are our two alternatives, at least in the U S how do you, how are you thinking about these outcomes as they relate to crypto is Biden better than Trump is Trump better than Biden? What's better for our bags, Tyler? That's what we want to know. <laughs> Well, so that's a very good question. I think um, you mentioned in your intro, uh, you know, some people say it doesn't it doesn't matter because you know politics d doesn't touch Bitcoin or in crypto generally. Uh, I think your point uh, in in refutation of that is a is a very good one. Uh, but some people think it doesn't matter just because uh, you know what actually matters is the is the bigger picture. What happens in the election overall? What happens in the you know in the House and the Senate? Um, what happens after after the election, whether Trump or Biden wins, uh, you know, depending on who they staff uh, in their, you know, um, at the at the agencies and in, in the in, in the administrative state, uh, if you will, uh, um, th that matters a lot, too. So whether it's Biden versus Trump, um, you know, obviously has repercussions and we I'd love to get it and I plan to get into those with you but uh, it's a bigger question right it's a what happens uh, in the overall picture of our of, of, of government uh, uh, you know post post election but that real um, quick that that staffing thing is important right because so absolutely. It does the executive branch correct me if I'm wrong but they, they pick a lot of the pr probably the administrators that we hear of a lot in crypto like the, the SEC, uh, yep. the folks that are SEG chair, chairmen and women like Hester Pierce, it's kind of right. crypto mom known in the space. That would be an executive branch pick. Is that right? That would be the presidential pick as, as well as, um, you know, CFTC chair, like yep. the folks that br recently brought enforcement against BitMEX. I mean, these are things that are impacting our industry. And is this all coming from the executive branch, essentially the president? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's the saying in Washington and, and it's, you know, I've, maybe your listeners have heard it before, but, you know, personnel is policy. Right. And, and wow. I think, um, yeah, stamp that uh, everybody take notes. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, that, that has a lot to do on the regular when it comes to, you know, the, the pertinent regulators to crypto, um, you know, who who the uh, the uh, Biden or, you know, Trump second term Trump administration appoints uh, to head these agencies have a have a has a big impact. Um, you know, I think the the there's a and, and you mentioned a few of them, there's the SEC, uh, which, you know, deals with securities laws. Uh, there's the OCC, uh, which we've heard a lot about recently with Brian Brooks uh, as as comptroller of the currency. 
uh, who's uh, been doing a lot of, uh, and, and he's, he's, um, you know, uh, he's pretty uh, bullish Ethereum. This mm, last quote. Uh, so, so I think you're thinking of CFTC yeah. chairman Heath Tarbert there, ah, who said okay. he, so he, he said he was, he was bullish Ethereum uh, by, by name, which was great. Uh, Brian Brooks on the OCC side has, has, um, issued a lot of guidance in recent months. He's been very active since coming on as comptroller. Uh, he, he's, uh, you know, uh, basically giving the green light in some ways for banks to get into crypto, which uh, is very, you know, pertinent to, to your, uh, to, to your, your guys' thesis. Uh, giving them the also... green light to custody crypto assets. That was a big thing, right? Is that what you Custody crypto, crypto assets. That's There's huge. also guidance related to stable coins and, and stuff like that too. Hmm. Um, there's uh, so, yeah. So the, the, you know, the, the alphabet soup of financial re regulators, as they say, you have the SEC, the OCC, the CFTC, the CFPB, uh, which is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. All these things, all of these places, uh, you know, will have either uh, new new appoint appointees uh, in a Biden administration, or they'll have uh, you know possibly new or continuing on from uh, from a Trump administration. The last last four years of of the Trump administration. Real quick, I I want to get back. We want to get back to like which one's better and that sort of thing in a second. But sure. real quick, FinCEN, yeah. is that all? Executive is that one of the acronyms you just threw out there? Who who? So so FinCEN FinCEN is actually FinCEN is within Treasury. Uh, okay. Now that I'm live, I'm you know I'm hoping that I'm not wrong on that. But uh, <laughs> FinCEN is uh is 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 part of is Treasury. That is actually not a politically appointed position. Uh, that is okay. that's administrative. But of course, obviously, you know Treasury whoever is, is Treasury. Treasury is right. Treasury Secretary is. There are plenty of political appointments in the in Treasury that decide basically the the priorities of Treasury. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So 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 I'm glad you brought FinCEN up. I was going to mention them later. And also, as well. Department of Justice, I guess. You know. Yep. Uh, William Barr has had more to say about this kind of thing lately. Um, absolutely. This is what you know. This is what happens. The the administrative state uh, has you know bloated to it is a, it's a big weapon that either side can pick up and point at the other. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why elections have consequences, and we're going to see what happens in the mm -hmm. you know hopefully the next few hours or days rather than weeks. Yes, hopefully. Yes. So Tyler, I think it, your answer was more or less like the, the actual people of Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Yeah, those two individuals don't really have a lot of implications, but it's the party that they bring along with them and make appointees. That's, right. That's where really the fulcrum relies on. And so, may, could do you have an opinion as to maybe it's uh, maybe the real question is you know Democrats or Republicans who would be more the more crypto friendly political party? Do you have an answer to that? Yeah. Well, so I think uh, you can you can look at that in two ways. One one is the uh, split that. I'll split my answer up into two buckets. One is the regulatory state, which was exactly what we were just talking about. And one is in, in the legislature and in the House and Senate. So taking the regulatory, you know, uh, agencies first, um, you know, uh, there it, it's 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 hard to say exactly how the uh, any Democrat appointees will will uh you know, uh, either will react to um, some things that have happened under the Trump administration. For example, you know, will the new OCC person on the Democrat side uh, undo things that have Brian Brooks has done, or will they leave those in place and then maybe you know add on to them or, or whatever else? It's hard to say. Again, personnel is policy. It's gonna it's gonna come down to you know whether there's a huge uh, 
huge democratic wave, right? Maybe they get a mandate uh, to do to be a little more progressive on in certain agencies, uh, and then we might see you know different than if there was a slight Biden victory versus where, where moderates are more in charge, and uh, so all these things are going to be. Uh, you know, watched very closely by people in D.C. Um, on the legislature side, um, uh, you know, I hesitate to say whether Republicans or Democrats are better. Uh, Hodelpack is, is explicitly nonpartisan. We like to, you know, make friends on both sides of the aisles and support uh, the existing the champions that do exist on both sides of the aisle. Um, I think if I if I were to press to say which one is better, I think Republicans have a slight edge just because you know, they're, I, I think, instinctively a little more, you know, pro-innovation, uh, less regulation um, in so far as that helps crypto develop. Um, and, you know, the Democrats are, of course, the party of, of, of Brad Sherman, our, uh, uh, which I'm sure your listeners know, it, you know, is not the biggest fan of crypto uh, in the house. So we have, um, crypto. does he have a nickname, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I haven't heard it. Probably. Yeah. But yeah. Crypto hater. Yeah. He's the yeah. anti-crypto dad. He's... Crypto, crypto stepdad. Crypto yeah, stepdad. <laughs> that might be a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, like, but um, I guess philosophically, yeah. um, are there wins for both parties here? Right. If you think about the the platform, the things that Democrats historically care about, and the platform and oh, the yeah. things Republicans care about, are there ways to paint crypto? in you know in both of those lights i guess that's part of the job of of you know something like the pack that you run absolutely and i'm i'm glad you brought that up uh because i you know i didn't i didn't really finish my answer there on the legislature yes the yes the democrats you know maybe i give the slight edge to the republicans but there are champions on both sides uh it is it 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 really is a nonpartisan issue at this point i think it's more about education and, and outreach for for our industry um the you know uh you know, to name names, there's uh, Darren Soto from Florida has has sponsored, a, a, and he's a Democrat, has sponsored a bunch of, um, you know, great legislation uh, pertaining to crypto. Uh, we have, you know, Sean Maloney from from New York is another great Democrat on, on these issues. Um, you know, and even, the, you know, there's actually, you know, I've heard rumors that, um, you know, uh, a, a Democratic Financial Services Committee in the House might actually uh, be motivated to, 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 um, to, to, to do some crypto asset specific, you know, legislation or uh, crypto asset related rather legislation um, if, if, you, if they retain their, their leadership position. So, um, you know, I, I think both, both sides, uh, there, there are champions on both sides. It's really a non-political issue at this point. Um, I think that's a good thing for us because if it is, if it does become a political football, then, you know, it, it gets caught up in the, in the partisan dysfunction of, uh, of, that we're also familiar with. And then it becomes something that, you know, uh, one side has to, you know, jam down the other's throats, frankly. And we don't want that. We want that to be something that everybody kind of works together and, and realizes is something, you know, like the, uh, like the internet in the 90s or something that we need to try to, you know, um, uh, you know, promote and make U.S. a friendly jurisdiction for. So, Tyler, what would you say does crypto need to fight for? Like, what are the issues that are at stake that like maybe maybe all of us in the in the crypto world just sit on our hands and we don't become activists. What do we what are we leaving on the table? What are we losing? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I think there's there's a few um, you know hot button issues, obviously, and I think you and your your listeners are probably familiar with them. There's the 
you know, there's securities laws and how they apply to, you know, tokens. And I think that's something that's gotten a lot of attention in crypto. Uh, that's something that's also been addressed in a few bills that haven't really gone anywhere in, 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 the, in, uh, in the House and Senate. Um, you know, that's something that if we don't, you know, keep pushing, uh, might not go anywhere in itself. Um, there's also things that are easy that things that like, it's almost unbelievable that haven't been dealt with yet. Like the, like a de minimis tax exemption, right. Where people need to, um, tech, you know, for, to be fully tax compliant, technically need to like track, you know, the smallest, uh, transactions, Your uh, gas a cup fees. of coffee with Bitcoin. Yeah. If right. you pay gas on ether, right. Technically you have to track the cost basis of that ether that you just spent with like the five right. cents you spent on gas, right? right? That's how well, silly well, it is. It's very and, silly. And, and I'm sure and, also and, things like transferring from DAI to Tether to USDC, taxable events based off the rate changes. I can I can see the you know the reactions of the people in DC, their minds are spinning as you <laughs> just try to tell them like describe something like that to, Tyler, to them. the crazy yeah. thing about it is like most people in crypto they're like yeah we like we'll pay our taxes just like tell us don't make us yeah. guess it's kind of like right. the mm -hmm. irs you're like filling this stuff out and it's like yeah guess guess what you yeah. owe us and you're like okay mm -hmm. i'll guess and if, if you're wrong we'll throw you in jail we'll fine you <laughs> like it's not a fun right. game to play no it is not and that, and those are so the it, it's the, uh excuse me it is those things that uh you know are at risk for not you know engaging with uh with our policymakers um it's very i think it's very important for the crypto community broadly to uh you know despite our differences whether you're a bitcoin or an ethereum or whatever you call it you know uh, these are all things these are things that you know affect us all so um it's good to, hold, good to get what's involved. holding those things back is is there some maybe let's talk about some of the the fears right the concerns mm -hmm. right so i think i've heard maybe brad sherman's who's a congressman i think maybe in um california, california. somewhere yeah okay. he's a los angeles basically okay i've heard him say that uh like his main one of his main concerns uh is u.s loss of reserve currency status right um which I'm like, okay, well, maybe you actually understand like what crypto is a little bit if you're articulating it in that way. Um, but like, that's one concern that I've articulated. Is that the common concern? Is it more, you know, terrorists and uh, rogue countries and we can't monitor or like, what are the common concerns coming out of Congress that, that prevent just really simple things like this? Like we just want to, something to clarify how we pay taxes on crypto. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, I guess to answer that, so I think there's the main thing that's preventing like these types of, you know, we, we can call it simple, I guess, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal scholar. It might not be, you know, the, these, these, these things might not ex actually be simple to, to change, even though I, you know, there are proposals on the table and people have been debating the merits of anyway, the, the thing that um, is preventing uh, those things from happening is frankly, just, you know, political dysfunction as as uh, representative emmer said uh who's i believe a co-chair of the blockchain caucus uh in, in the in congress um what he said in in our uh the hodel pack interview with him was uh you know congress is just name and post office these days they're not doing much and, and i think that so that that uh that's the main obstacle um it's it's really hard to get uh the Repu the red and the blue team to work together i think that's the main one um, you mentioned specifically Brad Sherman's objection about, um, you know, the, do the dollars reserve currency status. I think, 
actually, I don't know if I've heard that, that, uh, that, um, you know, point brought up much, uh, other than, other than that, that, uh, hearing that, or a couple of hearings that he's brought that up. Uh, I don't know if that's, I, I think that's in the background and I know that definitely, um, it definitely, uh, influenced the Libra discussion. Uh, but I don't know if that's like the main motivator for, you know, somebody being like antagonistic towards crypto, uh, you know, regulatory clarity or whatever you want to call it broadly. Um, there are, however, some serious concerns. I think, uh, you know, another, like another, just to go back to your previous question, like those are, we went over some of the easy ones. Some of the harder ones are some of these things that, you know, uh, concerns about hosted versus unhosted wallets when it comes to money laundering. Like these, these things are, these things are huge issues. Uh, and you, you mentioned FinCEN and, uh, you know, previously, this is directly related to that is that, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if we don't engage with policymakers and, and, you know, uh, as a community say that, you know, we want to be using these products and uh, we want a bankless future rather than having, you know, to be work with the banks, uh, then, um, you know, we could very well ha see a future where, you know, unhosted wallets, uh, anybody's MetaMask on their browser uh, is, uh, you know, prohibited. Uh, usage of that is prohibited or, or severely restricted. And um, obviously, th that's an existential type of threat to crypto. And we don't want to see that happen either. And so, Tyler, that seems to me like the issue, right? The number one issue. And because there's a ton of incentives here at play, a bankless world where we can all have our own infinite number of MetaMask wallets and we don't have to ask permission to you know, send money between each other, that is cutting out middlemen. And that is middlemen that exist in the legacy system that have funding dollars and lobbying efforts and, and want to retain the status quo and could perhaps likely push narratives such as money laundering and criminals in order to say like, hey, you know, crypto is dangerous and we need to babysit our citizens by making walled gardens that protect them, right? And so we can make sure that, you know, you know, when you, you have your PayPal BTC that you only ever send it to another PayPal individual. What I'm worried about is that when it comes to lobbying, which is kind of basically how you get what you want in the political landscape, the, the status quo and the legacy institutions have all the capital in the world to lobby and the crypto world doesn't seem to be very well organized in order to get this lobbying efforts done to retain some of these core principles that underpin our entire industry. How do you think about these things? Yeah, that's a great point. So uh, a couple a couple of things come to mind. Uh, you know, first, shout out to organizations like Coin Center uh, in in Blockchain Association and in the Chamber of Digital Commerce as well that have been fighting this fight in DC. Uh, it's been you know it's great uh, to have representatives like them. Uh, you know, um, trying to you know maybe counteract the uh, the, the the dollars of the uh, of the you know the bank lobby or the other you know. Um, other lobbyists in in DC, um, you know, I, I think in in why we started Holdpack in a, in a way was to try to be a you know an alternative to that uh, complex. I think you know obviously there are companies within uh, crypto that you know uh, are getting more active in terms of you know trying to put money to work in DC, um, in, and it's in their interest to do so. Uh, but I think what it, what's really powerful is is like a is a uh, basically a grassroots political organization uh, like Hodel Pack aspires to be, where the people, the you know, the listeners of your uh, of your podcast and, 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 and content and 
the members of Bankless Nation, uh, you know, can uh, can you know can um, make their voices heard, and you know, maybe not donate a ton of money, but you know, put some skin in the game, and and then uh, you know, you can see that uh, we have a grassroots organization of of real people using these products and wanting to see you know the you know. Uh, this future come to come to fruition. Um, so that, that's why we started whole pack. And uh, I think you're right. Uh, it, it's a it, we, we're up against big, al, uh, big, big uh, enemies in that sense. But in some ways, actually, the one way to think about it is, you know, uh, the PayPal's of the world, uh, maybe they're not, they're not necessarily, you know, aligned with the banks 100%, right. So it's almost, I, I like to think of it. And I, I don't know if I've fully fleshed out this thought yet, is that, when in this battle versus like fintechs versus banks, right? And this is this is very relevant to the OC, what's been happening in the OCC in the last few months, is that uh, in this battle versus with fintechs versus banks, um, the this idea of like what is a bank might kind of get lost in the in, in the you know it, it just it might become irrelevant. And in that in that uh, you know scrum, if you will, there might be a, a path open for you know uh, public blockchains and crypto networks to find a way to you know exist within that um within that world where you know it, we kind of are in a bankless world because you know banks don't really mean anything they're largely a regulatory invention uh, in, in a lot of ways um and you know uh if uh, if crypto is all it's cracked up to be and all that we think uh, it is then uh you know it, that'll rise to the top and, and be chosen by uh by the market so that's kind um, that's kind yeah, of that's the right. like so, a little bit of the uh, protocol sync thesis right it's like when you have all of these parties that can't agree right paypal's not going to want to settle on jp morgan's whole transaction network or private uh blockchain and vice versa right jp morgan's not going to look fondly on libra or whatever big tech silicon valley comes out with so what mm -hmm. do they do they throw up their hands and say, well, let's all pick this one, this credibly neutral settlement layer that none of us control because that's the only fair way to do it. Um, and hopefully that's that's some of the, the glimmer of hope for something like an Ethereum, for instance, that is the settlement layer that no one controls. Um, David, I think you're, you're, you're like, I, I guess one thing before we get to a uh, next point actually is another glimmer of hope, it seems to me, Tyler, is that... Um, we did this in the U.S. in the early 90s, right, mm -hmm. with the internet. And mm -hmm. somehow we got to an internet that wasn't perfect, but was reasonable. Like it worked. Like all kind of 90s and 2000s tech was built on this thing. It was reasonably permissionless. It was reasonably credibly neutral. Oh, my God. We even, we even somehow got away with cryptographically secure um, transactions using HTTPS and, and TLS. Like, um, and that used to be, that sort of cryptography used to be like military grade tech. You know, if you, if you went back in the 1940s or something, you said, hey, we've got this new protocol thing and it's going to allow citizen A to send something to citizen B. And by the way, government, you can't open the mail and read any of the, the transactions. Big brother government would have been like, oh, I don't know. Um, but somehow we got it through in the 90s which gives me some hope. Is there some like path there that we can take to start applying it to crypto? And, and like, this is the new internet. This is the internet of money. Paint that picture for legislators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I hope so. I hope there is. Uh, I, I think there's, you know, uh, 
there, uh, I don't know if you, you guys might have crossed your radar back when it when it came out, but uh, you know Hester Peirce at the SEC has come out with like a safe harbor proposal that I think is kind of speaks to that uh, that uh, at least that motivation that you're describing, right? Which is to kind of create a light touch kind of regulatory environment where where uh, you know things can be experimented with without fear of of uh, you know. Um, getting caught up in in in, in laws in, in the in you know these laws have have jail times in many ways uh, associated yeah. with them, which is not something that you know we want to subject any uh, entrepreneurial crypto developer uh, to, right? Um, so I think there are some uh, there's there's hope there. I think you know maybe uh, the problem is is uh, I, I, it really gets back to. Um, you know, uh, there needs to be the political will to try to uh, try to uh, you know uh, create to, to to do something similar to, like to the '90s as you were describing with the internet. And uh, who knows whether that will ever be there? I, I certainly hope so, and I certainly hope I know that you know the organizations that I I uh, I, I listed off like Coin Center and, and, and Blockchain Association. Um, and hold a pack will be working to try to get that get people there uh but i guess there's only we'll we'll, we'll see right uh it's, it's up to us to try to engage and uh get get our representatives one by one to that point so tyler we asked about like what do we have to lose uh and that kind of uh, illustrates a uh, a game of versus rather than a game of collaborate, uh, collaboration, right? So what happens when the world of crypto, our, our industry, uh, th uh, thinks about collaborating with the nation state and we actually work together, right? What do we have? When, and, and then we also win our political battles. Like, what do we mm. have to gain that makes the world of crypto a more fun place to live in? Like, it's it's the... Just it's less costly to it's not less a separated world, right? We have the bankless nation and we have the, le the legacy nation state. And what happens when these things come to meld because we won a lot of the political battles? Uh, what what mm -hmm. can you kind of illustrate uh, that kind of world? Yeah, it, that's a great question. I, you know, I'm I'm not thinking about this. I'm not sure there's necessarily like a silver bullet that like is going to you know create the utopia that we're like ho that we were hoping for. But I do think. Uh, I mean, maybe this is not really what you had in mind, but I'd like to take the question in this direction uh, and you can uh, feel free to shoot me down if not. But I think there are a lot of things that the crypto um, industry community, whatever you want to call it, you know, can teach and help, uh, you know, government with. Uh, for example, like the, the biggest thing that comes to mind is this you know, emerging debate around like the digital dollar, right? Like uh, people in DC have been talking about this forever or not forever, but for this year a lot. Uh, and, and uh, you know, th frankly, there's, there's not a lot of, uh, depending on who you talk to, you get different definitions of a digital dollar. One, you know, uh, is, you know, something like a Fed account, right? And it, everybody has accounts at the Fed. And, and I don't think that's a lot, like, I don't think that really appeals to crypto uh, people very much. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, uh, along the sovereign individual thesis, along the bankless nation thesis, uh, is, you know, our, our, our token-based digital dollars that, um, you know, people uh, that 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 give people financial privacy and in uh, you know don't subject them to the type of surveillance that the banking system does now, especially with the and, and pay attention to the travel rule uh, stuff that's come out from FinCEN recently. That's going to lower the threshold uh, for uh, information gathering on on transactions 
Uh, follow Jake Travinsky and Jason Somensato on those issues. They're very good. Uh, quick plug for my friends. Um, but the uh, but you know the question a lot in DC. I guess the the best discussions about digital about the digital dollar come back to like how do we enshrine you know what are supposedly American values in this new form of money that like might exist right and um, you know I think the crypto community has a lot to teach uh, in DC frankly about that about you know what what they care about and I think what crypto cares about are the things that I just mentioned and that I think. A, uh, appeals to a larger audience, um, especially when you kind of uh, juxtapose it with uh, with with the Chinese, you know, digital currency uh, initiatives and how that's kind of basically the opposite of what we're talking about. So, um, you know, I don't know if that was quite your answer uh, or question, David, but that's that's kind of uh, in, in my mind in the in the in the uh, optimistic world where government and the crypto community are working uh, well together. Like that's that's what comes out of it. Tyler we, Tyler, we have so many more conversations that, that we want to get to. I'm particularly interested in HODL pack because I hear that you guys use quadratic uh, voting to figure out how to allocate funds. We want to get into conversations like that, but we're going to have to take a break and talk about some of our spa uh, sponsors that make this show possible. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a hardware wallet. There is no alternative for storing your crypto in a self-sovereign fashion. That's why I have four ledgers that I use to manage my different crypto assets using the Ledger Live account as well. Ledger Live is like your home base for managing your Ethereum, DeFi, and crypto accounts. It does a really good job of aggregating all of your different Ethereum wallets if you are the type of person that uses more than one, but you can also add other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Cosmos or whatever your preferred blockchain is. And then it will display an aggregate portfolio of all your accounts at the main page. One thing that Ledger is doing a really good job of is enabling all the money verbs that me and Ryan talk about with the Bankless Skill Cube enabled in the Ledger Live app. So right now in the Ledger Live app, you can buy, sell, lend, swap, and stake your crypto assets, which is doing a really good job of fulfilling all of the money verbs in the Bankless Skill Cube. Something that's new to Ledger Live is Ledger Swap, where you can swap assets one for another directly inside the Ledger Live application, ensuring trustlessness in your financial activity on Ethereum and on Bitcoin. If you want to learn more about what you can do with a Ledger, go to the blog post, The Power of Ledger Live on the Ledger website, where they share some of the more advanced things that you can do with your Ledger that you might not have known about. There's a link in the show notes that will take you to the Ledger shop where you can get your preferred Ledger hardware wallets. I personally like the Ledger Nano X, but I also have both. They're both great options. When you own a Ledger, you own your own assets in the way that they have been designed to be held by the user and the user alone. So go get your ledger today to make sure that you are as self-sovereign as possible. The Bankless State of the Nations are brought to you by Wiren. Wiren is DeFi's first self-building community-run project, which I just get really, really excited about. Wiren is a system that seeks out yield in DeFi, and it does that in a number of different ways. Well, a very aggressive way is with the vaults, where you can deposit your preferred asset of choice and different DeFi experts will come in and generate a strategy for what to do with your deposited token, right? And so it'll go find ways to get yield in that deposited token in DeFi. 
For those who want to just earn yield on their stablecoins, the earn system is for you, where you can deposit your preferred stablecoin and Wiren will go and figure out which money market on DeFi and DeFi is producing the best interest rate, whether it's DYDX, it's Compound or Aave. It, it looks around DeFi to see where the yield is coming from and it directs stablecoins automatically so you don't have to. Check them out at yearn.finance to get started and also check out the stats page to see what other people are doing as well. All right, Bankless Nation, we are back with Tyler Werty, and we're talking all things politics, uh, particularly on this day, the Biden versus Trump election. We covered a lot so far. Tyler, uh, when we left off, we were just talking about central bank digital currencies. And I think you indicated that that sort of could be a catalyst for some movement if it feels like Congress has is in sort of a stalemate, isn't doing a lot of things. Sometimes it takes this shot across the bow, this, this catalyst to get them moving. Uh, China is moving full steam ahead on their central bank digital currency. At what point does a U.S. Fed coin, some sort of a central bank digital currency, just break through the um, the impasse and sort of the, the status quo and become top of mind? Are we getting close to that? Do you think? Is there are there mumblings? Is are there rumors in D.C. that uh, you know the U.S. needs a strategy for central bank mm -hmm. digital currency? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, like the, when you say digital dollar in D.C., it depends on who you're talking to and uh, as to where they take it. Right. So um, I think there is a, if you're to do like the Google trends of D.C. conversations, right, like the digital dollar would have had a spike in 2020. Uh, like people are talking about it more. Yeah. Um, where that goes is a is a great question. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, I there are better experts than, than I to, to kind of hash out all the different directions. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, I think there is an increasing chatter about it. There's increasing chatter about, um, you know, things like Libra and like how that's going to play in, uh, you know, Libra famously, or, you know, uh, I guess famously, uh, you know, changed from a basket of currencies to a dollar-based one, I think to appease regulators and, 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 and policymakers on the Hill, especially with that, that kind of, um, uh, you know, because, because that was a chief, that was a, a big concern of them was, was dollar supremacy and, you know, uh, the role of the dollar in the, in the global economy, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in threats to that. Um, but I, I do think there is potential for it. I think, unfortunately, you know, again, it, it, it depends on like what happens today. Uh, the, you know, with the Democrat, I think the Democrats are, uh, more, more, um, uh, on board with something like a Fed account-based digital dollar, at least if you're going to take some of the the bills that have been introduced in the last few months, uh, COVID relief-related bills, um, to uh, you know, if you're going to take take that as their position, then then you know the the thing that's getting the most attention is a, is the digital that type of digital dollar. And what's their intent with that type of digital dollar? Is is part of the appeal for on on the Democrat side? Um, hey, this is a way to distribute maybe some sort of UBI, you know, another $1,200 check to the people, directly to the people, to their account. Yeah. Um, that, that seems to be popular in you know, some aspect of the Democratic Party. Is mm -hmm. that part of the carrot there? Well, I think a lot of it, it's, you know, it's, it's motivated by, uh, you know, financial inclusion uh, goals, right? So, so it's it, hard to get bank accounts when, you know, in certain, uh, you know, 
underprivileged uh, communities, uh, in rural communities, it's hard to get access to bank accounts. So a lot of this digital dollar stuff uh, with the Fed has been introduced alongside of like postal banking legislature to make post offices offer banking services. Uh, you know, it's been um, in, in definitely motivated by COVID relief related, economic relief related efforts, uh, which could Technically, you know, you said UBI set the, you know, set the infrastructure for UBI in the future. That that is that is uh, that would I would presume that to be you know compatible. Um, there is also you know groups in DC that are talking about digital dollar, like the Digital Dollar Project, which is headed by uh, former CFTC officials Chris Giancarlo and Daniel Gorfine. That's a big uh, name. Those are big names. Big names, yes, absolutely, and so and they have you know weight political weight in D.C. as well. They in they're they've been um, you know advocating for something different, uh, something like a more of a token based digital dollar with roles for you know private industry, uh, you know having some type of role in that uh, in that um, uh, you know uh, arrangement, uh, if you will. Um, so so yeah, it's it's it, I guess the. To sum it up, like it's very to be determined. Uh, the a lot of the air has been sucked out of the room uh, with with uh, you know first COVID relief and and just trying to figure that out. Of course, this is somewhat related, uh, and then the election uh, this year. So you know, real discussion hasn't maybe hasn't necessarily taken place. I don't think we've had a full throated like civic discussion about the digital dollar. Um, but what's good, I guess, and in, in from my perspective, is that you know private innovation continues to trudge on, right? Mm -hmm. You see, uh, stablecoin growth this year has been tremendous. It's uh, a digital dollar. I don't know the number. That that in itself is in very much you know a digital dollar, and and I think it's very important that within this broader you know uh, discussion as it relates to government involvement in the digital dollar that private innovations and you know uh all the all the things that are caught up in that uh are you know are allowed to to you know um take place and thrive here as well because i think choice is good for the consumer at the end of the day absolutely Tyler, I want to turn the conversation to HODLPAC because there are some interesting things going behind the scenes there at, at HODLPAC based on some pretty yeah. interesting crypto economic primitives. Uh, maybe you could intro us into what HODLPAC is. Absolutely. Yeah. So so as we discussed, you know, the, the idea there was, you know, to create like a grassroots political organization uh, to engage the crypto community in D.C. and to add a, a fundraising element. Um, PACs are political action committees, which are basically, you know, uh, uh, you know, nonprofits dedicated towards donating uh, and supporting um, candidates for public office. So HODLPAC is, uh, and HODLPAC, HODLPAC, you know, tomato, tomato. Here sure. we go. Uh, I think I've, I've said that on every every podcast I've been on. Everybody pronounces it differently, but I'm not going to change at this point. But uh, the, uh, um, you know, I think what, what was missing from from the, you know, the the crypto policy advocacy space was something like this. So we wanted to fill that gap. And uh, in, 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 yeah, so the way it works, uh, you mentioned, you know, um, quadratic voting. So the, we, you know, I was thinking about how to create, you know, one of these things for the, for the crypto community. And of course I want to make it crypto native and I want to make it, you know, so thusly, you know, make it community governed and, um, 
obviously there's there's you know laws fec rules around around packs and how how to, how to do things so we can't go full full board in the crypto native direction quite yet but one of the things that we experimented with this year was uh you know anybody who donated or signed up for our email uh list and in, in our in our Substack newsletter uh received total vote tokens uh in, in exchange so uh, we, these were tokens on the Rinkeby test net to avoid gas fees and all those and all that stuff. Uh, I was sending out, you know, Rinkeby ETH to people so they could <laughs> vote in our, uh, vote in our, in our community ballot, but we held one community ballot where, um, uh, you know, uh, there was a list of 10 candidates to choose from. Um, those were provided by, you know, myself and the, in the Hodel pack board. Uh, but eventually we want to like have the community curate those as well. Um, so basically the way it worked is there was 10, 10, uh, 10, 10 candidates to choose from the people who had HODL votes were able to, you know, connect their MetaMask to, uh, to the community ballot page. And then, uh, we use quadratic voting for how to buy the votes for those candidates. So, uh, you know, if you had whatever, however many HODL votes, uh, and the way quadratic voting works is the first vote cost one, the second cost four, third cost nine. So we thought that was a good way to kind of level the playing field between, you know, the whales that were donating a lot and those in the people who, you know, frankly, we want to engage uh, the people who are just giving, you know, 20 bucks here and there. Um, uh, we, the quadratic voting helps to level the playing field between those two groups. Uh, and then it also, you know, just uh, exposes more people to some of the cool stuff that crypto that's going on in crypto. So, uh, yeah, we that was uh, that was a lot of fun. It was really cool to see people, you know, um, you know, got some DC people on MetaMask, got people using tokens and stuff. And it was it was it was a lot of fun. So, you know, that this was just the first iteration. We want to we want to keep building it out and we want to engage the you know community to help us do so. Uh, another quick plug, sorry, is uh, we used we another like or another crypto native thing that we did was was to uh, have a token permission discord uh, by our friends at Abridged and Collabland. Uh, shout out those guys, and uh, and yeah, so so um, like I said, you know, we're just trying to create like a crypto native political organization, trying to experiment with what that looks like, and uh, and that was the that was the first iteration this year. This is something that I get really, really excited about. And so for, for our listeners, I want you to, to take Moloch DAO and Gitcoin and kind of put them into one, right? And so what, what I think you guys are doing at, at HODLDAO is you are figuring out a way to build a more scalable organization using cryptocurrency infrastructure and, and cryptographic primitives, right? Quad, the whole concept of quadratic voting is generating a system that is more inclusive, that allows people to have more say. And when that, if that is achieved, then in theory, HODLDAO can incentivize more donations, right? And yep. so it's using cryptographic infrastructure to create a bigger tent for allowing more people to express their political opinions. PACs, political action committees, are super powerful because it's a way to uh focus and converge people's attentions and values and energies by just delegating into a few people and you you are using uh quadratic voting you're using uh the ethereum blockchain or testnet uh and you're using a, a dao like system like kind of like moloch to really try and see how many people can we get involved to direct funds and also use uh the principle of quadratic voting which is market-based incentives to allocate funds to people that we deem the most appropriate to receive those things. And I think when we compare 
legacy systems versus crypto systems. To me, this is just one of the things that is why crypto is always going to win. You know, cross my fingers, that's just a theory. Um, but it's because we are able to do the same things, but in a better form, a more inclusive form, a, a, a bigger tent. And if you guys have been following what we've been talking on the Bankless program, bigger tents win. Bigger tents always win. And I, is it is that that's my take? Does that resonate with you? I mean, hey, you're hired. Let's go. Let's get you <laughs> on the, let's, yeah, let's do it. The, 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 that was that was perfect. That's exactly right. And and I think, uh, you know, part of the I, I said uh, I, I mentioned this before, but I'll just reiterate is like, you know, uh, yes, we were trying to fill a gap in the crypto policy advocacy space um, to get, you know, grassroots and fundraising operation off the off the ground. But also wanted to, you know, we want Pack to be an example for DC to learn from the power of these things, these uh, community owned and run, uh, you know, uh, digital first uh, uh, organizations like I want I want DC's brains to start, you know, the, to start uh, turning and um, thinking about the, the potential of these things. I think both, you know, so so yes, couldn't have said it better, David. Thank you. It's kind of cool because, um, you know, what is a pack if not a capital pool, right? That influences policy. And yep. um, what's a DAO? Ethereum in, in crypto. Yeah, what's a DAO? I mean, we happen to be pretty good in DeFi and Ethereum at capital pools. So global capital <laughs> pools. So there's one thing we know like, how to do. <laughs> like we do know how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it does seem like a perfect marriage. I guess as long as yep. you can get sort of the, um, the pack regulation sort of straight right. side of things, because it does have right. to have a foot, I guess, in the in the legal meat space world to make sure that people aren't giving too much or they're identified or whatever the pack rules are. I don't quite know them, but super interesting stuff, Tyler. Hey, um, one last question for you before we let you go. So thinking about all of this stuff that we've heard today, what can the bankless nation do today to help you know, David talked about the, the state of the nation is political and he used the term activist. What's our role? What can we do right now? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Uh, I, I'm happy to plug Pack again. Uh, so, you know, I think, uh, first of all, let me say that uh, as I am, you know, uh, as I kind of thought through Hodelpack and, and what I wanted it to be and, and what I wanted it to, you know, kind of represent and stuff, the, the ideas of Bankless Nation, um, you know, we're, we're top of mind. So you guys, you know, have already had influence over a pack in, in that way. But, but uh, you know, to, to, uh, to think about, you know, how, how Bankless Nation can get involved, you know, I, there's, there's, two, there's two main ways right now, uh, uh, I guess three. The first is, you know, just sign up uh, on our website and subscribe to our newsletter. That'll earn you HODL votes and we'll send you those and, and you'll be a part, you'll be a pack member. Uh, at that, from that point on, the second um, is uh, you know if you are able, please donate. Uh, you know we are uh, again, packs are just uh, pools of capital, and so we need capital to be able to uh, do our job uh, well. Um, and then uh, you know the third is uh, you know I know there's a lot of uh, developers and tech-minded people here, product people uh, you know listening. Um, we uh, you know I am uh, my, my DMs are open uh, on Hodel packs. Uh, page on Twitter, as well as my personal page, if you want to get involved and in, in to help us build the next gen of, of Hodel Pack for, for 2022 and beyond, uh, you know, please, uh, please send me a, send me a message or, or reach out at hello at hodelpack.org. That's um, awesome, any, Tyler. Any of that will work. 
And on that donation piece, if uh, someone is interested in donate, they want to donate, they can't do it in crypto today, as I understand, but I'm sure that's coming soon. But um, what does, what do the funds go to? Are you pushing the agenda of crypto, everything we talked about today in DC? So, um, so uh, it'll go, so the, the donations go to, uh, well, they go to Hodel Pack, and then they are dispersed to uh, candidates based on the, uh, you know, the decisions of the community. There's some portion of the funds that will go that go to just kind of running Hodel Pack. We're basically over that over that hill, though. I think that a lot of our founding donors uh, kind of set us up well for that. Uh, so some portion will go to like things like compliance, like monthly, you know, compliance costs. But we really we're striving to get as much as you know as as high a percentage of every dollar that's donated to hold a pack back into donations to candidates to try to build a you know a coalition in Congress to uh, to do all the things that we've been talking about today. Okay, very cool, interesting. I uh, don't know all the subtleties of of how that sort of works, donations to candidates, but I'm sure uh, money. <laughs> I do know that money makes politics go round, and if crypto wants a place in the political sphere and meat space, we need to be at the table. Tyler, it has been fantastic to have you on Bankless State of the Nation. Thanks so much for joining us, sir. Thanks so much for having me on and uh, keep going with uh, with Bankless Nation. Uh, you know, I hope, hopefully we can get as many of the ideas that you guys talk about uh, translated into, you know, DC and um, they can catch on there as well. So thanks guys. Awesome. Well, Tyler, thank you for being the vehicle to which so that we can actually get that done. Great. All right. Bye guys. Take care. David. Wow. That's, that's pretty eye-opening, man. Like, um, lobbyist stuff is very, very interesting. I think I, um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I do wonder about the future of this. I, I, we, we definitely need to be involved in some way in these conversations in DC. And it seems like, you know, PACs and having representatives in DC is a way to do that. Uh, what are some of your takeaways from that? Yeah. I think my, my biggest takeaway is, is like, and I think I learned this lesson in, in 2016 where like you don't really get to opt out of politics, right? Like you don't get to just sit on your hands and say, you know, you know, politics isn't for me. I'm not really interested in it because like I said at the beginning, it doesn't matter if you're not interested in politics because politics is interested in you, right? And so if you're a listener to the Bankless YouTube, to the Bankless Nation, Bankless Newsletter, Bankless Podcast, that means you're interested in crypto. And that means you're interested in crypto growing into its maximum potential. And if you're interested in that, Therefore, you're interested in protecting crypto from, you know, people that might not have the same incentives as you are. And again, like that's why PACs exist in the first place. Maybe it's not, maybe crypto is not your deal. Maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, I don't know. And insert your political interest here. There's a PAC for that, right? And the reason for that is because it's more efficient and more scalable to just send money to a PAC and make them do the labor for you. Right. That's what a pack is, is it coordinates and, and centralizes labor and focuses it. Right. It's like a lens of 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 influence. And crypto is going to have its packs, too. And so, you know, HODL pack, I think, is a great mechanism to figure out how can we make crypto uh, aligned with the rest of the world and not against the rest of the world. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, there, there's a part of me that's a little divided on this because uh, money in politics, I would ar- I would argue, is, is uh, certainly not ideal. But this is also the world that we live in, right? right? So we are post-Citizens United cases. This is how things happen in D.C. So we have to be pragmatic about it as well. And speaking of being pragmatic, David, you wrote this uh, great piece on Monday mm-hmm. talking about the election outcome. And I, I do think it, it's worth uh, talking about really briefly, but... 
you, you basically made the argument that, um, hey, like the question of on everyone's mind in crypto is, um, is, is Biden or Trump going to be a good thing or a bad thing for crypto? And you kind of changed the dichotomy a little bit. And, and you said, well, it's, it's less about who wins and more about certainty versus uh, uncertainty, right? And they, you know, it's, it's almost the way in which the candidate wins or loses right. could lead to more uncertainty. And I think part of what you're saying is sort of uncertainty bad, like generally bad for markets. But also you're, you're kind of making the, the, the claim too that um, there's an element of crypto does thrive on a little bit of global uncertainty. Right. Uh, it can thrive in in the chaos, but I think the larger point of the article, um, and maybe th that's where the title came from, is that while this chaos is going on, um, the eye of Sauron, like that being sort of the government in this case, is not pointed on crypto, and that's probably a good thing for now because crypto is just a baby. It's you know it's a it's a small little hobbit for using our Lord of the Rings, uh, <laughs> and it's got to grow up into a big strong hobbit before it can like take on you know Sauron in his tower here. Uh, yeah, you want to you want to talk about some of the themes from this article? Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, just to reiterate, like again, I don't think Biden or Trump is really the the focal point here, and I don't even think it's really a focal point of the election. When you vote Biden and you or you vote Trump, you're voting for the team, not the person, right? And that's kind of what we were getting into uh, with Tyler just now. But like you said, like crypto thrives in volatility crypto thrives in chaos and i think one of the the reasons what like the the btc price is extremely volatile but bitcoin is it's like the bane of uh, the dark knight of, of batman like it was born in chaos it was born in volatility <laughs> it knew it knows how to live in a volatile world right and the legacy system doesn't know how to do that. The legacy financial markets look towards the election and hopes for stability and hopes for certainty. But in crypto, we don't give a shit about about certainty. We don't care about about uh, you know stability because our our whole entire industry goes in boom and bust cycles every three to four years. There's no, oh, yeah. there's no foundational substrate yeah. to our industry. So it doesn't matter for us. Like it's like chaos is actually one of our best friends because the longer and more that Ethereum and Bitcoin can, can develop and mature before the nation state tries to top down control it, the better. Yeah, I, I have a friend who's a, um, a financial planner, right? And uh, he's like, you know, sometimes I'll talk to him. He's like, oh, brutal day. You know, market was down 4%. I'm like, oh, 4%. 4 yes, huh? do, tell, do tell me more. <laughs> I mean, there's an element of like, wow, crypto 4%. I mean, that can happen in a few seconds, right? And uh, we are very used to this this chaotic world. But I think one one of your main points too is that whatever outcome happens today mm -hmm. it's basically this is not really like th there's no clear candidate that supports crypto or doesn't support crypto right both candidates probably support modern monetary mm -hmm. policy and money printing mm -hmm. so i guess that's a boom to crypto either way you could argue mm -hmm. one more than the other um we'll see but tomorrow or today now it, it's not really crypto's battle nope. like it's not our fight yet mm -hmm. uh, but our fight will come at some point right. when the eye of sauron starts to turn its eye onto onto the crypto industry and maybe we got a flavor of, of what that could look like with tyler and maybe we need mm -hmm. to start preparing now 
Yeah, and and here's how I think this election is relevant to crypto because you know, everything is connected, right? Uh, in, in my in my um, opinion, uh, the 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 radical left, the very loud left, kind of has the the Democrats. Um, they they've kind of controlled the Democrats, right? And the radical left wants want stimulus, right? The left is running on being the pro-stimulus party. But we even saw Donald Trump like flash an anti-stimulus tweet like two weeks before the election and then immediately backtracked and was like, no, we're definitely doing stimulus. Just kidding. I wasn't that that tweet was a mistake. We're definitely a pro-stimulus party as well. And so I think the populace of the American uh, or the, the government, the parties, the political parties are held hostage by the people who want stimulus because we gave them a little bit, like they got a taste of stimulus and they're like, well, why can't we have more of that? And the parties are like, don't have an answer to that question, right? And that is how we think that we are converging on an MMT, uh, a pro MMT environment, no matter what. The MMT is coming, right? And this means bullishness for Bitcoin. And it doesn't matter. I've been having this conversation with a couple of, of, of Ethereum people who are very, not not very, but like don't don't see the value in Bitcoin that that Bitcoiners do or I necessarily do. Bitcoin doesn't need to do anything other than be alive because MMT makes it really difficult to allocate capital. Right? The equity markets are really highly highly priced. Like Amazon shares three thousand dollars. That's insanely high priced. And so people are looking like with all this MMT going on, where do I park my capital? And that's what Bitcoin offers a vehicle for. You don't have to be bullish on Bitcoin, the technology. You just have to be bullish on Bitcoin, the 21 million meme, right? And if people are taking their stimulus and they're buying Bitcoin, that is going to make the nation state jealous. And that's what I finish up with in this article, right? The nation state, if you are taking the money that you uh, don't want to hold, which is the dollar because it's being printed, and you are buying Bitcoin with it, the United States nation is going to have to print more money to achieve the same ends as previously, right? We talked about this in the second episode of Bankless Ever, where we talked about like how people spend bad money and hoard good money. And bad money is money that's being printed. And if the, if the people of the United States nation are taking their stimulus checks, are taking their quantitative easing, and they're buying Bitcoin and putting Bitcoin on their balance sheets, that's going to make the nation state really jealous. And that's, what, that's a lot of what we were talking about with Tyler just now about walled gardens around crypto as being one of the biggest things in our political fight ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you keep saying Bitcoin because I think you, 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 you're it's bullish sh- Bitcoin it's, it's these the days, point. right? Right. So, um, like I would definitely broaden that to say non-sovereign assets. Right. And, um, I'm personally more bullish, uh, ether in these, in these dark times of MMT. Um, but yes, both, both can serve as a non-sovereign unaffected by MMT policy kind of shelling point asset. Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely, I mean, Bitcoin is the first that people, the, the dude on the street hears. Right. Um, can we talk about something else? That's- hang on, hang on. So, so since since you brought up Ether, yeah. Here, so Ether plus EIP one five five nine. Think about this: when you get inflation and issuance of money. Wait, are you are you are you trying to redeem yourself with the ETH bulls yeah, now? I'm trying to that you were talking about. Okay, okay. Carry on, myself. sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, inflation and money printing makes the velocity of money go up. You know, and we all know the stories of people in Argentina or Venezuela who got their paycheck and they got their paycheck in like plastic bags full of cash. And then they immediately went to the store and they bought all the groceries that they could, regardless if they needed them or not. That's the velocity of money. The money is moving around the nation really, really fast. 
Uh, and that's what happens when you print a bunch of money. And so think about the combination of EIP-1559 on Ethereum, which burns Ether as a function of the amount of transactional volume on Ethereum and an, an increasing uh, velocity of US dollars, which there are a ton of on Ethereum. And so I think pe people, the reason why I, I speak about Bitcoin as the anti-MMT asset is because that's the shelling point. But when people get okay with Bitcoin, they're going to look elsewhere in the crypto world and they're going to see Ether the asset, which uh, grows commensurately scarce as the growth of the Ethereum economy grows. But it also is getting deleted by the velocity of US dollar stable coins uh, going around the Ethereum network. And they're going to see Bitcoin as a disinflationary asset, but they're going to see Ether as an actively deflating asset that is actually becoming more scarce based on a, 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 as a function of the money printing of, of, of dollars. That's my thesis. Gateway drug to understanding Ether right yeah. now, mm -hmm. good or bad, is definitely Bitcoin. Bitcoin has had a 10-year history mm -hmm. to show the world what digital scarcity looks like. Ether's had a five-year history. Right. And EIP-1559 and staking hasn't even kicked in yet. So uh, agree with you there. Long-term horizon. Did I redeem myself? Am I? Am I don't know, am man. Canceled. You tell us in the comments. <laughs> I'm okay with your takes, David, <laughs> as always. All right. Hey, let's talk about something else I've been thinking about. Um, I know we're going a little long here, but this I was thinking about this post our Raul Paul episode. Um, and Raul's, Raul Paul, like his perspective, I don't want to put it any spoilers here, but part of his perspective that's probably different from our own was, was basically this, if I could distill it down. Like we were talking a little bankless, right? And... Um, he, I think he understands, he, he values the permissionless open layer of all this innovation, all of these free markets, right? But I don't think he quite understood the um, self-sovereign kind of aspect mm -hmm. of going bankless, right? Mm -hmm. I think Raul Paul, his answer to, to uh, why use compound like versus um, a, uh, like a Coinbase or mm -hmm. a, a BitMEX or something, it's like, well, I'll just use whatever gives me the best rate. I don't really care. And whatever is the most, like, I don't care about the thesis of, mm -hmm. of self-sovereign bankless, bankless money, because I think he, his take was basically guys, we've already lost the battle for privacy and freedom. Right. He said at one point during our conversation with him, David, this stuck with me. It's like, look, they're already tracking everything you do on Google. Like they, they already, you have an Amazon Alexa device, mm -hmm. like in your home, it's, it's listening to your conversation. You think there's anything you can hide from big brother. You're, you're certainly not going to hide your like banking activities mm -hmm. unless they give you the ability to, to use a DeFi protocol. They can simply, you know, strip that ability away from you. We've already lost the battle right. for privacy and, and freedom is what Raul Paul says. And therefore... He thinks about the space with a little bit of a different lens mm -hmm. than you or I might. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I tweeted this out, like uh, just a poll. Have we already lost the battle for privacy and freedom in the in the digital age? 40% um, of people said, yes, we lost. It's just Twitter informal poll. 60% said, no, there's hope. What do you think? I, th I think that I'm surprised that the yes, we lost is so high. 40% think that we've already lost. That's pretty high. Um, I, I do think that, you know, we just have more information about the intricacies of Ethereum and DeFi than I think Raul does. Uh, and I think Raul's counterpoint, however, was that, you know, we are perhaps 
a little bit more like revolutionary than the typical individual, right? Like we are, we are on the bleeding edge of DeFi, right? We, we, we try all the DeFi apps. We drink the DeFi Kool-Aid. We drink the, the Bankless Nation Kool-Aid of, of being completely self-sovereign in, in the most, you know, to the, to the nth degree. And, that, that, and I, I did appreciate his take where he said, you know, he kind of alluded to like, not everyone is going to be that far on the spectrum of being a revolutionary, right? Uh, and so right. I appreciate that. However, uh, I think also Raul perhaps underestimates or maybe doesn't even think about the, mar the creeping authoritarianism of the nation state, right? Um, and, you know, America, land of the free, home of the brave, you know, based on, you know, freedom, values of freedom. I think people don't think that that's possible in America. Um, but like I said, at the end of, of that Market Monday piece, like when there's a bunch of MMT going on and people are using that freedom to sell their dollars and buy Bitcoin, that's going to make the nation state pretty upset. Uh, and so I, I think the jury's out on how much America can really retain its, you know, freedom meme, freedom, freedom brand, because it's already been, like you've said, it's already been lost, right? So I, we only, it, I think the trend has to actually stay the same for the bankless thesis to play out. So I, I, I agree with you, of course, all of that in like ice cube revolutionary. Yeah. And that's and why we're hosts. <laughs> that's why, that's why we're wearing the shirt, yeah. man. That's why, that's why this works. Um, but like, you know, Raul, Raul puts his hat on. It's like, I'm the pragmatic trader perspective and, and he has a different take, but I want to ask you this, right? For, for, for all, let's say I agree with you, but like Raul's point is like, we're already too far gone. Right. Like there's, even if we want to, even mm -hmm. if there are enough revolutionaries, we just, they're the, the incumbents have an asymmetrical advantage, right? They own big tech, they own you know, mm -hmm. like the nation, like it, the battle's lost and we just don't know it yet. We're still here fighting the revolution. The battle's right. already lost. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? It's a little despondent, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I, I think I have a, a pretty salient uh, uh, opinion on this. Um, Brandon Quidham, who's a, who's a Bitcoiner, he's the Bitcoin mushroom guy, uh, wrote about how Bitcoin is mycelium, uh, which fantastic article. Uh, recently wrote an article uh, connecting like the what uh, the, the book called the fourth turning which talks about like the generations of history and how each generation has a relationship with the past generation right the way that your parents raised you was impacted by the way that their parents raised them and we impact the generations going forward and the, part of the thesis of, of his article in that book is that currently we are in a time of high chaos and low order and, and we are looking for more order, right? We are looking for uh, bigger institutions to put our trust into, and our current institutions are failing us, right? Like, uh, and this is where may, maybe what we were alluding to with like uh, big tech and big banks and you know the government. These are institutions that aren't providing us with the order that we're looking for. There's everyone talks about how there's no trust in institutions anymore, and and I think that's what Raúl is kind of illustrating. It's like, yeah, we've already lost because the institutions we don't trust them, and they've already captured all of our data, all of our privacy. We don't get. There's that nothing happen. we can do about there's it. There's nothing we can do. About about it. What Raul, I think, is, is discounting or not including in his thesis is our ability to make new institutions that we can trust, that we can but, leverage. And what, I think you're also pointing to like a, gener a generational shift a generational to shift. those new institutions, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the, the existing incumbents who run the institutions of today won't 
always be in power. Right. That's exactly right. And the way that we, the way that our generation and the people of our world look to discover order by relying on institutions is going to be different than Raul's generation, right? Like, I don't think Raul knows about Tornado Cash or Aztec or other privacy implementations on Ethereum. I don't think he understands how close privacy is to anyone with a MetaMask account on Ethereum because this privacy is just one transaction away and it's only getting better. I'm not sure Raul under, has gotten to that point about Ethereum and DeFi yet. Absolutely. Well, that's reason to be optimistic, David. That That's cool stuff. I, um, I, I like that take and it's a good counter. Uh, but folks, definitely tune into that podcast on Monday and you'll hear sort of his take and a little back and forth on that. Hey, David, last thing, because we should wrap it up <laughs> before the before the government shuts us down again. Um, BAP sales. Okay, BAP sales. so what's happened? Like it was last last week around this time, mm -hmm. we reintroduced BAP sales on Balancer. I think it was yep. Wednesday, maybe not mm -hmm. Tuesday. And this was an auction on Balancer. What's the price as of today? I guess uh, while, you, while, you're, while you're talking about this, I could go look it up. Huh? Yeah, so actually I think we should start about what the price was last week. And so last week yeah, when we started it? this thing off, we, start, we started the BAP price at the highest price that it was sold at at Uniswap before the price got too high. And that was $1,200. Uh, and uh, and the, that's what we started the balancer pool at uh, this time around. And for those that are just tuning in, the way that this is different with uh, with Uniswap, the price starts at a threshold and then it moves up as people buy more. That's how Uniswap works. With Balancer, uh, the price starts high and actually moves low, but it still has that Uniswap element where if there's more buyers, then the price will go up. But over time, the price ticks downward. So it's a little bit of a game. We started the price at 1200 DAI and it's currently 649 DAI. That's cool. Like, so yesterday, um, somebody poked it yesterday. It was like in the 500s or something, right? Yeah, it was 538. And so now that it's at 650, it looks like somebody went and bought one. So somebody bought, it goes up. And if you wait enough time, it slips down, right? right. Just on that pricing curve for 30 mm -hmm. days. What's the last day of this again? The uh, Thanksgiving is the last day of the sale is on Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? And so there's a little bit of a game, right? So like the, the theory is the price, according to the smart contract, will trend towards zero. But the, the game theory behind this is like at some point before it reaches zero, it's gonna people are gonna buy them all because these shirts are awesome and they're definitely worth more than zero dollars. And so some point between twelve hundred dollars and zero dollars, all the BAP tokens sell out, right? But there's also a little bit of game. Like say that say the BAP price goes down to four hundred dollars, and then someone buys one and then it goes back up to four eighty. But then someone buys another one and it goes up to five fifty. So while it trends downwards, it can still go up because of the way you know AMMs work. It's a combination of AMM and Dutch auction. It's super cool. It's going to be cool to see other tokens released in this fashion. We're just kind of like using it very early, paving the way. But this is a, a really cool shirt. Uh, there's a price point, David, where uh, I want to pick up number two. I'm not oh. going to tell you what that is because like right. you're my uh, game theoretic front run you. adversary and you're going to front run me. But there is a price point where I'm swooping in and I'm going to grab yeah. another uh, yeah. Eatscape shirt. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and leak this alpha because uh, as soon as it hits roughly the cost of shipping, I'm buying all of them so I don't have to go shipping anymore. <laughs> there you go. So th there's our guessing game. Somewhere between zero and that price <laughs> and where I swoop in and buy my second is where you should be buying if you're listening to this. All right, David, we've gone on long enough. This mm -hmm. has been State of the Nation. Guys, we, we've talked um, all about, you know, kind of politics and being uh, an activist in the political systems and it's been fantastic to talk to Tyler 
Thank you so much for joining us on this special election day edition of State of the Nation. As always, risks and disclaimers, Ether, Bitcoin, the assets we talk about are risky. You could lose what you put in if you are playing with DeFi. Be careful. But thanks for joining us on the journey. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us and going bankless together. Thanks a lot. Thank you.